Alex and this is the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 27. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with the rest of the podcast team, Chris, Kath and Dom. Hello, everyone. Hello, Hello. Alex. How's, how's everyone doing? Good. Absolutely fine. Yeah, not bad. Thank you. What's everyone been up to? Anything, anything interesting in these uh, lockdown times? I did something quite exciting today. Well, no, no, I'm going to find, I, I find this exciting. I don't think anybody else listening to this podcast will. Um, the best Christmas present I got this year was a B-Bar. What's a B-Bar? B-Bar is, uh, it's a box filled with seeds um, that will attract bees come the summer. Mm. A B-Bar. Oh, yeah, nice. a B-Bar. A bar for yes. bees. And I think uh, fans of this podcast will know from early episodes that I've talked about how bees give me hope. Um, so now I'm, I'm now growing on my windowsill uh, this, this bee bar, which, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll start sprouting in a, in a couple of weeks. But I haven't been able to do it. It says on the back of the box, don't plant until February. So I've been sitting there all the way through January going, is it February yet? Is it February yet? Can I plant it yet? And, and, and today I did. I did. And it's, it's one of these kind of coir matting things. So it, the, the box is thin. It's about the same size as a dairy milk. Uh, bar of chocolate, you know, a generous dairy milk chocolate. Um, but when you pour water on it, it goes boom and becomes enormous. And it was great. It was so much fun. So I, I don't know. I might live tweet it all the Do way it. through uh, through through germination and uh, and planting, and then does it does it grow like one of those uh, those magic trees? Do you remember those magic trees that you used to get when you used to water it, and then it grew those crystals out of the? Uh, These are the real. So right. <laughs> there's a real plant with flowers on it. That's what bees like these days. Oh, I'll have to Google one later. That sounds exciting. Mm. It's got hibiscus in it and mm. other stuff, which I've now forgotten. Well, my youngest, she's seven, and she learned to ride her bike this week. <gasps> oh, well done her. Literally, we got her sorted last weekend with a new bike, and she had a lesson every day with her dad outside in between kind of homeschooling and uh yeah she's riding with no stabilizers nothing all by herself absolutely what an brilliant. achievement absolutely mm-hmm. yeah well done. yeah well yes yeah. so she's well pleased with herself yeah she should be that's that's a good thing to have done yeah mm-hmm. i i did a mathematical calculation over the weekend and i've i've worked out that i could um achieve a marathon by walking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, eight miles each day. So I'm going to try it next weekend. Go for it. Excellent. So one thing I've noticed actually with all the with all the weather and all the walking, particularly around the bit of Newcastle that I live, there's only about three paths you can go on that aren't sort of walking around the houses. And it's like walking through the Somme now. It's just, there's been so much traffic going through these places that you can't go anywhere without wellies. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be like that until the summer. There's only so many routes you can do as well, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Dom? How are you doing? I'm fine, but I haven't done anything. Oh. <laughs> do you not find that sometimes you get a mental block when somebody asks you, what have you been doing? Yeah, I have yeah. come off to finish this podcast and think, oh, hold on a minute, I just learned a new language last week. Why didn't I mention that, you know? Um, yeah, oh, I have been, um, I, I have been making robots. I mean, Oh, I've seen your robots, yeah. Just... Yeah, I've been making a robot a day just as a doodle. I've been having loads of Zoom meetings like everybody. And I realized I was doodling people as I was talking to them. I was doing the portraits. 
uh, when I should have been taking notes, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I started drawing people as robots. So I've built up this huge collection of doodles of people that I've met in Zoom life as robots. And then I started making them better and making them full illustrations and, and sharing them. They look great when I've seen them on Twitter. It looks good fun. So have you been doodling us, Dom? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to ask that question, Chris. <laughs> I just knew it would be content gold. Right, you're in here somewhere, Chris. Although this this bit is quite problematic for a podcast. I do I do realise this. <laughs> you'll, you'll just have to audio describe it, Chris. Yeah. Or you just kind of listen to the reaction and <laughs> the listeners can kind of fill in the gaps themselves. I think this is you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh that's special. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to work out which which aspects of my personality went into making that. I think, that this is like, I think I definitely got the shape of your head. There. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's cheeky chappy. That's what it is. And and the antenna yeah. as well. Yeah. That's, you, you've really got mm-hmm. my antenna. Love it. Is, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well, on that, note, quite <laughs> on that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? <laughs> Uh, This week's episode is with Alison Flanagan-Wood, who is pretty well known in the cultural sector here in the Northeast. She's been involved in the cultural sector for most of her working career and has been Arts Development Officer at Newcastle City Council for quite a few years now, which she talks about in the interview. We had a great chat about all sorts of things, uh, the importance of arts and culture to people's well-being and ways in which she challenges herself. So enough of me talking, here's Ali. Ali, a very warm welcome to the Geordie Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's uh, it's Monday morning, it's bright and sunny, um, and we're here to talk about happiness. Thank we you. We are, and thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for talking to us. Um, For people who perhaps um, haven't met you before, don't know who you are, could you just perhaps set the scene? Yes, um, I am Alison Flanagan-Wood or Ali Flanagan-Wood and I am Arts Development Officer um, at Newcastle City Council. And I have been for oh quite a few years. <laughs> I think quite a few people in the cultural sector will have come across you and worked with you in the past. Can you maybe say a little bit about what the art development team do? Yes, I can. Um, the arts development team, and I say team loosely because I am the team, <laughs> um, was set up many years ago to engage um, creatively and culturally with local people across Newcastle from quite diverse and um, disadvantaged communities to engage in creative activity. We believe, the council believes that that everyone's entitled to culture and creativity in their lives. So so my role is the best role at the city council, I think. Um, I engage with people of all ages, all abilities in creative activities. I work very closely and support a lot of freelance Um, community artists and organizations across the city and the region to support them to develop projects in partnership with community partners. So you said there that you the council believe that everybody has the right to culture what about people who just really aren't interested in it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think culture is so vast. It's it's it takes in so many forms. So, for instance, culture in Newcastle, there's a big culture around football. So obviously, you know, the passion of the Magpies is yeah. there. We know yeah. that. Culture can be anything from, you know, going out to see local independent bands, you know, around the Ooseburn. Culture can be going, popping into your local library and picking up books, you know, and, and reading time with your kids. Culture is vast and it is it, 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 it's, it's so vast. It can be anything. And I think Newcastle is so rich in so many cultural um, elements. And I think there's something for everybody. I think um, particularly during this last year or so, you know, there's been a lot of um, conversations around, um, you know, culture is what's helped a lot of people get through oh, all of this, totally. isn't it? Yeah. You know, if you're isolating in your house, you're watching, you know, your streaming channels. I'm not going to name any on here, uh, no, you know, but people will be listening to music, watching films, all of that sort of thing. It's just integral to our lives, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and more so, as you say, um, I mean, I, I believe I've always believed in arts and culture. I mean, I, I came over to England from from Derry when I was 18 um, to do a foundation in art and design. Arts and culture was always something that I was passionate about. But I think when I finished my degree in fine art at Newcastle Poly, as it was then, um, I just couldn't afford to be, you know, an artist. I tried to sort of hold down a studio, do my own sort of work, but I ended up just working in bars and nightclubs in Riverside, you know, sort of serving punters and, and, and enjoying the sort of nightlife and got into that. But arts and culture have always obviously played a big role in what I do. Um, I went on then to become a neighbourhood play worker for the city council, working in the east end of the city working with lots of young people around sort of sort of youth development, play development. And part of that, we always used the arts. We, we engage, you know, those young people in arts, be that DJing, MCing, be that murals, be that around, you know, International Women's Day doing some artwork or, you know, some projects around sort of World AIDS Day. There was always an arts element to it. And I think I was so lucky to then sort of be be interviewed and given the opportunity to be arts development officer because people and using arts is is really important to me and I think it is scary arts you know if you if you set up groups you know to work with people they they get really sort of nervous you know because they they go I was I was crap at art at school or I never did yeah. this at school but I think it's more about bringing people together it's more about having conversations it's about you know sort of people feeling comfortable relaxed you know sort of talking and things come from there and I think building that confidence and then trying to progress people along you know, as part of that sort of journey is really important. And that's what I get really passionate about when I do my work and work with artists and community groups in the city. So you've always had that connection to culture um, since, well, since you were 
Young oh, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up in, in Derry, you know, it's the undertones. I was into the Smiths, you know, my first gig was was driving up in the back of a van, which had a mattress <laughs> and it was me and my two friends. And we went to see the Smiths. My mum and dad knew not none of it. You know, we were picked up at the end of the Craig Avon Bridge in Derry. And off we went to the City Hall in Belfast to see the Smiths. And it was just, you know, music was really important to me, but arts as well. And sport, sport was really important to me growing up. I played camogie. Um, which was the fiercest game ever. I was going to say, what, 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 what's that? Komogi <laughs> I've is, never heard um, of it. It's a, it's a version of, it's, it's female, it's all female, sort of hurley, but you use a sort of wooden stick and the ball is made out of pigskin. So it's the hardest ball and it's a small ball. It's like a tennis ball size, but it's got edges. Oh and if God. it hits you, and it hit me quite a few times, <laughs> it really hurts. In those days, you didn't have any sort of protective equipment. It was literally, you know, your sort of PE kit and your stick and off you went and you hacked and you played. Um, And I loved it. I loved that sort of challenge as well. So, you know, I came from quite a sporting sort of family. My dad was a professional footballer. He played for Derry City. He played for Shamrock Rovers and Athlone Town. Um, So sport was always sort of part of growing up. but arts for me, it was all about sort of the cultural side of it, sort of people, the arts. Um, and I'm, as I say, just so lucky to sort of be in a job that I really am passionate about. I played hockey when I was at school and that sounds quite tame now compared to uh, Honestly, what you were doing. Um, look it up if you don't know anything about camogie. Um, we were actually Northern Ireland champions as well when I was um, when I was playing. We we were a brilliant team, and I still am in contact with quite a few of the girls. Um, and I think one or two of them still dabble in playing it, um, maybe semi sort of professional because there's loads of you know really good teams in Ireland, Southern Ireland, and obviously in the north. And we traveled all over and we we kicked ass basically when we were like 15, 16, 17. Well, we, we, we might uh, we might talk about another contact sport a little bit later on. But Maybe. Uh, that, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, and you touched on there um, about the the riverside. And yes. um, what was Newcastle like at oh, that time when you were? Because again, God. the riverside as a cultural venue was was huge, wasn't it? it? I mean, I look back now and, you know, it's a lot of it is a blur, to be completely honest, because when you sort of were living through that time, um, it was just there was so much choice and it was just such a fast paced sort of, you know, lifestyle as well. I mean, as I said, I was I, I experienced the Riverside for the first time when I was a student, obviously doing the fine art degree. Um, and a boyfriend of mine at the time ended up working there on the door and behind the bar. And then I sort of gradually got introduced and became a, a sort of bar member as well, a bar staff member. Um, and then I progressed up to the Melbourne Diner, um, which there's nowhere finer. Um, and I, I ended up sort of, you know, sort of serving people. But it wasn't just the punters. It was all of the bands that would play there. They all came up to the Melbourne Diner for their sort of pre, you know, sort of gig meal. And, and afterwards as well, they would come back up for their lock-in as such. So you really, you, you know, the, the bands that we sort of worked with were just amazing, you know. And I, I probably just took it in my stride. I didn't really sort of think about it too much. It's only afterwards when you sort of look back and think, oh, my God, that was, you know, whoever from 
the Stone Roses, the Nirvana to, you know, sort of, you name it, Fugazi, you know, we, we sort of served them, we seen them, we sort of walked past them in corridors. So it was amazing. And the whole Newcastle scene then was brilliant. It was buzzing. There was like loads of sort of warehouse parties. The quayside was so different. It, it's transformed completely from, from those days. I, as a student, used to work in a bar um, which was built into the, um, the Tyne Bridge. So the foot of the Tyne Bridge and it was the Newcastle Arms. It was a real old man's bar mm. and it was before all day sort of drinking. So I would do the sort of graveyard shifts, you know, sort of like the afternoons, the 12 till threes when it was literally sort of the older gents who would come in. And the tails were amazing because they were all salty sea dogs. They were all, <laughs> you know, from from the shipyards or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So the stories were brilliant. Um, the Sunday shift there would always be the liveliest, the it was buzzing because the quayside was so different. The quayside traders would all come in before the market. You know, they would then sort of cram in while, you know, while the market was closing down. And the families, it was a real sort of different environment down there, I think, then. Um, pubs, you know, the barley mow, the old barley mow, the old Egypt cottage, you know, they were my stomping grounds. And they were always the, the sort of bars that you would go to before you would go to the riverside, you know, on yeah. the nighttime or the Mayfair as well, you know, yeah. which is not with us anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, some brilliant places and just great people as well. So the cultural the cultural scene is obviously something that brings you great happiness. Can you? Oh, God. Can totally. you describe that happiness? Um, I think I think more so now in in lockdown. What I'm missing, and I think my husband Paul as well. He's he's been in bands, you know, all his life basically. I think it's the going out. It's that social side of stuff. It's the it's not only is it about experiencing the music and the different sort of you know genres of music that are out there um because you know just before lockdown we were going out quite regularly but not to see big bands anymore because I couldn't afford it and I wouldn't pay you yeah. know the sort of money at the moment it's ridiculous I think it was all about what we like doing and love doing and passionate about is supporting local independent sort of uh, music makers DJs or you know sort of bands and we're, we're again we're so lucky in Newcastle you know all around us there's lots of like experimental music you know underground sort of stuff going on some stuff I don't go to Paul does you know and I, I sort of raise my eyebrows every time he tries to get me to go and I go no you're on your own for that one but the ones that I do go to are just great because it's just it's a local scene you know but it's it's supporting people who are passionate about what they do and I just think that's that's great and we need to keep that going and that's what I'm missing so much about you know this lockdown the fact that we're sort of we're isolated in in so many ways you know mm. and and yes we can sort of um support them through bank camps you know and and you know giving money direct to them which is what we do but it's not the same as actually physically walking into a room and being in a space with people and just that buzz and just the communication and then hearing obviously them sort of just you know sort of go for it is 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 what really excites me do you think arts culture have a role to play in people's happiness levels oh god yes I mean I've just been talking about what what makes me happy 
Um, my job, obviously, as arts development officer, working in the culture team, the arts and culture team at the city council, we're a very small team, um, and you know, it, it's. I, I'm, I, as I say, I, I love the job, but it is really challenging because obviously you don't have many team, you know, sort of um, members to sort of bounce ideas off, and especially when, you know, there's a lot of work out there that we want to be doing. So I guess that's one of the challenges, not having obviously a team of sort of other officers that that know and get what I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, truly believe that the, the work that we are developing through our arts development program is, is key. It's really important. It's vital because not only now in the lockdown, even before, um, the way that we set up, I think it was around eight years ago when it just became me as arts development officers um, or officer we, we looked at artist residencies as a, as a way of engaging and trying to really sort of make it important still for the community, you know, and when I say the community, it's, it's all ages, all abilities, you know, across the city. We don't, we don't necessarily work in communities that, um, that have stuff set up already and are established enough to, to sort of find their own funding, engage their own artists. We work with, um, with community partners who have little or no experience of that. And I think that's quite tough. So a lot of the work that I do is very much around building relationships out in yeah. the community, getting to know people, talking to them, you know, sort of finding what makes them tick, finding what really sort of matters to them, what will give them a voice. And, you know, no two groups are the same. I mean, there's lots of challenges out there, but working with a group of young people, what's important to them in one community might be different from Very a group different. of sort of yeah. parents and toddlers in a different yeah. ward of the city. So I guess it's it's really vital that we listen. You know, we sort of, we don't just parachute in. We sort of build up that sort of relationship slowly. We we then sort of work with them um, to to create their own residency. And it is about that. And, it, you know, that's why the residencies are, are so different because the partners, the community are on board from the very beginning. They're involved in sort of the decision making um, from the start about what that brief, that artist brief will look like. Um, and it's about giving them that voice. So it, it's really important that that we do that groundwork with that. I, I, I make that connection from the start. And then they're involved in the shortlisting. They're involved in the, the interviews. So yes, I, artists, I remember. Uh, yes, my... You've been through that at Curtis <laughs> yeah, Park. I remember that gosh. was brilliant. Brilliant. But, but oh, the thing dear. is, if the beauty of that means that it's the ownership then on, on that project is theirs. And even in lockdown, I've managed to maintain that. It, it's not been ideal because obviously it's all been you know, virtual, we've, we've shortlisted, we've interviewed virtually, but the partners have been involved in that whole process. And I think it's really valuable because I think now more than ever, people need this work and, and need this engagement. As we've talked about, you know, the arts is really important. It's, it's so much more than just an activity. It can be that, but it's more about health and well-being. And I yeah. think after we come through, and I'm hoping that we come through this pandemic pretty soon, because I'm getting, I'm going stir crazy. I, don't I think know we about all you, are. I think we all are. But I think people will need more creative activities, more culture, more arts, more music, more reading. All of that will become really key. And I think um, it's important 
definitely. Well, after the Spanish flu in 1918, you then got the 1920s, didn't you? Exactly. So maybe so we'll have something similar. Ahead. Absolutely, maybe. Are there any standout residencies for you? Are you, are you allowed to have favourite residencies? Um, I think, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> we've, we've, they've all been really different. Um, and I think every year we sort of, I try to mix it up. I try to sort yeah. of not follow the same pattern, if you, if you know what I mean. I think we try and sort of just um, go with the partners, go with them. It, it's all about the individuals involved because, you know, I start off with something in my head that might happen from this particular residency. And it goes off on a tangent because we're working with people. And every time you go into that session, something, you know, that's planned, it won't happen because if they don't want that to happen, it won't. Yeah. So I guess it's always about being um, just, you know, working on your feet and trying not to be too um, stuck in in a way. Um, so residencies that I have, um, I think last year we did, and last year was so hard because all of them, they go on a journey and it's about a six month journey that then we celebrate at the end with be that an exhibition in a gallery in the city centre, be that um a community celebration in the neighborhood, you know, so but we put loads of emphasis on on that celebration at the end because we feel that it's really important and it's about raising the platform then and the profile of work in the community, cultural activity yeah. that people have done in the community. And last year we had four residencies and they they were all great. They were all very different. Some were about environmental issues. There was one that was called belonging that was working with adults in recovery. That was just amazing. And the journey that some of those those adults went on was was fabulous. You know, it was heartbreaking, but mm. it was fabulous. And there was one that we did, which was um, a West End music residency. And it was a bit bonkers because there was three very different musicians employed to work on this, but they had to work together as a team and they'd never worked together before. And the, and it was such a vast sort of remit because we just said East, uh, the West End, you know, it's just working with groups in the West End. So we connected with lots of different groups. And what they did was stunning throughout the whole residency. They had... Um, they worked with individual groups and then they would every now and then bring them together to do a sharing um, event in, mm -hmm. in one of the centres. And the last one that we did was at the West End Women and Girls. And we, we also, as part of last year's residencies, which I am so pleased that I did, I, I worked with um, Northern Stars from Tyneside Cinema. And Alex, um, he he came out and he was filming um, interviews with the participants, with the artists, with the partners, and just generally capturing, obviously, the whole sort of, you know, journey that people went on as yeah. part of the different, the four different residencies. But the music one also had a separate element. It had um, an element where we wanted to make a music video, and it was supposed to be a West End anthem. And I was sent it just before lockdown because we had to cancel all the celebration events at the end. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, we had worked on this one sort of anthem, music anthem, and it was made by young people and adults and older people from the communities. And it was Just Be Me, that that's what it was called. And it is still one of those sort of feel-good songs. And the video that goes with it just totally makes me smile. Mm -hmm. It's sort of just... It's, it's just mind blowing. And the fact that it sort of brings you back to pre 
COVID. Do you know what I mean? And it's just scary because I, I don't know when we'll get back to that. You know, I'm hoping that it's going to be soon, but I just don't know. But the just seeing this this work and those videos just make me smile because especially that anthem, it's just amazing. And it's done by all the, the groups involved. And I hope and I'm still working on um, the, the launch of those um, five short videos because I don't want them to be forgotten about just okay. because we had it you know, close everything down at the end yeah. of, you know, sort of, you know, March, mid-March last year. We we have all that footage. And and so I'm working um, with the artists involved, the partners involved, and we're going to celebrate online. We're going to have a day in March this year and and put out those five videos with, with obviously the, the West End anthem as well, because I think people really want to see it. I shared it with partners a few weeks ago and some of them are in tears. You know, because we've lost people along the way. Some people who were in the videos aren't with us anymore. So, you know, but it's it's a tribute to them. It's a, le- a legacy for the work that obviously they were involved in. And we want to celebrate that and continue, you know, in that way. And that celebration is so important, yeah. isn't it? Looking at, you know, what's what's been achieved, what, what people have got out of it. So uh, I'll keep an eye out for that then, yeah. definitely. Brilliant. Yeah. I think the one thing for me that always sort of sticks out in the calendar is the new year's eve parades um i know but they don't happen anymore i know but i remember doing being oh. involved in one years ago i dragged ago. you in didn't i <laughs> were you were you holding the world i was i was balancing ballast for the world yeah yeah and I remember um I think it was just me and then these these two guys were kind of uh yeah controlling it but I was meant to be holding this world down on the ground but just I think because we've been kind of behind the scenes getting ready you you didn't see the crowds forming and then you kind of turn the corner I think round to kind of Gray's Monument and just the streets were just full of people and yeah, the joy and everyone just oh, having such a great it, time. Yeah. Um, so well, honestly, working on the the New Year's Eve parade, the community parade element was such a joy. I mean, it was a lot of work. I mean, early days, you know, lots and lots of, you know, sort of um, lead up, you know, sort of dance movement sessions, rehearsals for, you know, sort of costume rehearsals, you know, making costumes with the community. And it was literally, you know, we're talking 250 local people who made up that parade and they performed, you know, and some of them, you know, could hardly walk, never mind, you know, sort of dance. But the joy of of seeing everybody in the banqueting hall, you know, sort of over those sort of few days before we did it, you know, the excitement, the buzz, the oh, build up of energy buzz. was yeah, just yeah. huge. And, yeah. you know, you sort of, it lifted you completely. You know, it was hard work, you know, from, from, you know, a worker's point of view, but it was hard work from a participant's point of view, as you know, I mean, it's not easy. It's you a know, long day in the world That's it, you know, on your shoulders. <laughs> But but at the end of it, you know, that that sort of just walking through the streets and getting all those cheers and getting your photographs taken, you know, and coming back into the Civic with every one of those people involved had a smile in their face. And it was successful because they kept wanting to get involved. You know, they knew the hard work involved in doing it, but they kept coming back. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I absolutely adored it. Yeah. I didn't get involved in the beginning, you know, wearing costumes and actually being in the parade. I was sort of behind the scenes. But I think within the last few years, and I knew that it was probably going to be coming to an end, because it's 
it's a it's a huge amount of money for the city mm-hmm. but I think you know it was money w- well spent you know if 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 I say it myself but I think the last few years I got involved I got costumed up and and I just went for it because I thought you know it might not happen next year so I'm going to do it it did make me happy I would come home knackered but I would be just buzzing with just being involved in such a, a brilliant event yeah you've touched on this a little bit already um but how do you think Newcastle communities you've been working with, um, how are they seeking happiness at the minute? I think, I mean, I, I from the beginning of obviously lockdown, I got involved working on City Lifeline, um, which was the City Council's response to COVID. And it was initially set up to sort of that immediate sort of need for local people, you know, around food and around finance and stuff like that, because, you know, it was such a, nobody knew what was going on. So I, I did that and thinking I wouldn't be able to do any arts development. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen with my, my role. And I think the priority in the council is still, you know, and, and remains still COVID response. So everything is priority around that. Um, but the reason why I'm saying this is because I've continued to do that work, but I've I've now sort of um, developed into an escalation officer as part of it. And I do 12 hours um, shift a week um, on the rota with the other girls from the communities team who've been brilliant to work with on this as well. And, and we, we have to try and adapt and change. And a lot of the, the needs that are coming through now are not, a, they are still finance and food, um, but there's, there's so much more need around well-being, mm. health, well-being, and people's mental well-being. And I think I think the community groups that we work with and we've always worked with, be that in arts development or be that, you know, currently, because, you know, they've had to sort of rethink how they sort of support the local community as well, has been amazing. I mean, some of the groups out there, you know, have adjusted so much. They're still they're so resilient. They're they're all you know supporting their community in ways that are so needed. You know they've they've taken to you know cooking food and you know dropping that off to people. You know activity packs. You know to kids and families. I mean the John Boss were doing a residency, a radio residency with Lindsay uh, Duncanson and uh, the John Boss Young People as part of this year's uh, residency program, and what they did. At, at Christmas was just astounding. The Star and Shadow, the volunteers went down there. They did a huge, big Santa um, sort of bike ride through Walker Park and some of the streets. Literally, they had a horse and cart. I don't know where that came from, but they had a horse and cart. <laughs> and they all dressed up, you know, it was all, you know, properly distanced and, and whatever, but it was about just bringing some cheer to people, you know, dropping off little presents to people's doors. And I think it was just so well received by the community who needed that little bit of a lift. And I think, you know, the community groups out there, you know, that the, they are doing amazing work and be that online, be that dropping stuff off, you know, to people's doors or, you know, phoning people up. I think they're just, they're just adjusting like we all have had to, you know, and they're doing things, um, you know, probably way over and above what they should be doing mm. but I think that's just the nature just of what happens isn't it yeah, yeah we, we all just muck in and we're all yeah. just doing what we we can to help people you know help our neighbors help the community you know go and you know if it, it you know the other 
a few weeks ago when it was all kicking off because of the the free school meal stuff and you you know across the the country there was calls coming around from uh, the civic center and i yeah. i basically dropped everything you know, that i was doing went in picked up um a list of of houses addresses and loads of packed lunches and went and dropped them all off around you know the city and loads of other officers did the same thing because we wanted to get the food out to people we didn't want you know the kids to go you know, without a pack lunch that day. So I guess it's just, it just depends. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just about being resilient. And I think, yeah, it's tough at the moment, but, and I think January has been a really difficult month. I know we were talking about this before, yeah. but I'm so pleased today is the beginning of February <laughs> and I am so looking forward to spring, you know, to, to the, 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 the bulbs appearing and sunshine again. I just miss sunshine. Yeah. It's really hard for me because January is my birthday month, I but at know. the same time, I kind of want it out of the way as well because, yeah, yeah you can then look forward to the rest of the year. It's always quite tough, isn't it? it it's um, a really diff- I mean, the only person that I know on this planet who thinks January is the best month ever is Paul, my husband. And it's because, <laughs> he's, because he stresses so much coming up to Christmas. He, he can't cope. He's, he's a bit of a stress pot. So when, when Christmas is out of the way, he can relax. <sighs> And January is the best month because it's so far away from December again. <laughs> I have no I idea. See his, I can see his logic. Yeah. yeah. Well. Okay. But still. But yeah, no. no. <laughs> we don't. I don't like it. It's over now. We've done January. Let's move on. So we've talked a lot about um, art development, the cultural offer in the city. Um, what else brings you happiness, Ali? Oh, what else? Um, when you're not I, doing art development, what do you like to be getting up to? So, well, what I like to do, I mean, in lockdown, this has been the challenge because before lockdown, I was doing loads. I'm, I'm quite an active person. And I think I, I sort of went through a period in my life of not being active. And then I've discovered, rediscovered it all again. And I think we through, all do, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. with having kids and just your sort of life, it sort of goes out the window because you, yeah. you just don't. So my daughter's 21. She's at university. So a few years ago, obviously, I, you know, we had the house to ourselves, you know, and it was, you know, my time again. And I, I just really sort of just I love challenges. I think for me, I think every year I try to challenge myself and I try and push myself a little bit more and do things that take me out of my comfort zone. And, you know, every year that's different. So this year, my challenge, because I can't do a sporty challenge as such, I've been sort of recreating painting I've been my daughter talked me into buying some canvases and just picking up the paintbrush again because I you know I haven't done that so I'm dabbling with that at the moment that's a bit of a challenge currently dabbling I bet you're great no I'm not I I have no pay I'm very spontaneous Paul Paul came looking for me yesterday Sunday he thought I was upstairs doing work like actual work like as if I would on a Sunday (laughs) and I was I just had to go and paint and I was I was away for an hour and I just did this random painting in an hour and he was like where are you I hope you're not working and I'm like no I'm just painting so I just yeah I just have a whim and I go off and do stuff but as I said challenges I like to push myself I like to push my body and you know I'm not young I'm not a spring chicken I'm 55 in April and you know I hate the fact that I haven't been doing 
lots more, you know, over the years. And one of the passions currently that I am not allowed to do, like yourself, Alex, is roller derby. <laughs> <laughs> but you have more years under your belt. I, I, obviously, I'm still a newbie. I, I started. Was it? In, um, we were. We graduated in 2019, so we went through obviously the training then. And the best thing about it, not only is it just such a, a brilliant sport, but it's the people that you meet, the women that you meet on on that journey, and who are still some of my best friends, you know, and we're from all different, you know, backgrounds and ages and abilities, and it doesn't matter because we've all bonded. But we were just getting going, you know, we were just starting to sort of kick ass and and go for it, but. Obviously, you know the world had a happened. happened. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about it. My uh, my memories, my memories oh. on Facebook today were reminding I've me of it. our I've our first it. game of twenty twenty, where we just yeah. uh, I know quite a big victory as well. Just um, just a little against Spartown in yeah. I think that's based down in Harrogate, but. Um, Oh, it was just the season that was never meant to be. It was destined to be great. I know. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? I mean, it just, yeah, it, it feels so cruel to be sort of just snapped away. And I think, you know, not, not many people know about, obviously, roller derby. It is, you know, it's a growing sport. But derby is, or derby? Well, I say der- derby. Mm. I, maybe it's my accent. Interesting. It's my accent. <laughs> I say things random anyway, you know, it's just me. Roller derby? Derby? So challenging yourself, yes. painting. Painting. What um, else? Other, other things that I've been doing, running. I hate running, but I push myself to do what? the odd run. Yeah. <laughs> you I, hate I, running? I do hate running. I just find it boring. I've discovered that where, like, listening to music helps. But I find it quite, I think I'm more a team person. Mm-hmm. So running is quite a sort of, you know, you're on your own and yeah. you're in your own head and your own thoughts, which is good as well. But I think I like the banter. I like the support from having a team around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love sea swimming. I've, I've bought a wetsuit for the first time in my life in the, well, it was September. So I didn't even manage to do it when, when it was good weather. I, I was too late for that. So I ended up buying a wetsuit in September and going sea swimming. And I never thought I would be that type of person who actually looked forward to a Saturday morning to get up at seven o'clock and go in the North Sea it's really, in December. It's really increased in popularity. Oh, is that because it, the pools are closed at the moment yeah. or is that what it yeah. is? Well, I think I think for me, it is about that. I love swimming. I've always loved swimming. But swimming in the sea is different and especially with a wetsuit it's not it's it's sort of more buoyant so it's a bit different it's it's more around just the thrill the cold water Mm, and mm. that rush that you sort of get you know and it sparks your brain you you come out after 30 minutes and it's like it's you feel invigorated really you know sort of recharged and while I'm doing it it sort of makes me forget about the week you know, all of the stuff, the stress that you've just done, I probably on the Friday have done a 12 hour shift on City Lifeline. So it's sort of like I'm knackered. I come out and it's like I'm just totally recharged afterwards. And it's just brilliant. And I haven't been since um, before Christmas because um, the friend that I was going with, Sarah, got a bit pearly. So we haven't been. Um, But I'm hoping to pick that up again this month and, and try and do the odd morning. I know. I know a few people who do it and 
no, thank you. No. Well, you, 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 you know, can't knock it unless different. you try it. I mean, oh, some yeah. people go in with just their swimming costumes on. Ooh. I mean, they are the braver ones. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know how that happens. I mean, it's not that much warmer with a wetsuit, but it's a little bit more warmer. In this lockdown, I think I just, I need those challenges. I need those sort of just places to escape from everything and that's what makes me happy just that sort of grabbing a half hour where you forget about the world you forget about the troubles the news you know what's happening um around you and you sort of just are there in the moment and I think that that's really important well I think we're kind of coming to the end of the interview now and I've just got like a final question to ask and you've kind of touched on it already actually but I'll just sort of see if you've got anything else to add you know how do you maintain positive mental health and well-being? You've said there that, you know, you like to challenge yourself and that's one way that you maintain your your positive mental well-being. But have you got any other ways? I I try to see things as not half empty, but half full. I try and sort of take each day as it comes because I think it, it's really tough. And, you know, I, I used to love looking forward to stuff you like having a goal being able to sort of plan towards stuff but I, I, I you know we all sharp realized that that was not going to happen um and so I've had to retrain myself to sort of just be calm just you know take a step back you know sort of just enjoy every day and do what you can in that moment you know and in that day and if that means I'm running around you know the the park doing a run or swimming or you know watching tv eating chocolate I don't know it's like I just I want to be easy on myself and and take just care of me as well and and my family my family keep me going my husband's a saint for putting up with me do you know what I mean it's like I'm not the easiest to live with neither tea but you know so we're probably a good match but I guess yeah I think it's just just breathing just doing things that make you happy and whatever that is you know if it's cooking if it's disco dancing in your kitchen on a Saturday night if it's you know going to bed early after a hot bath all those things I mean buying myself flowers the other day I went for a lovely walk and I just went in and and just bought myself flowers and I just came back and they brighten up the room and it makes me happy having flowers in in the corner of the room so yeah I think we all we all just have to do what what we can to get through it and not be too tough on ourselves and you know yeah that's that's where I'm going I think that's really interesting that that whole just take one day at a time um, and I guess be responsive to how yeah. you're feeling at the yeah. time as well and not being too rigid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you say, if you need to eat a load of chocolate and watch TV or you know, go buy some flowers, whatever yeah. it is, it's, it's being responsive to the to the emotions at the time. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ali. That's that's great. It's been lovely talking to you. It's been it's been a little while. You know, we 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 chat on on Messenger every now and then, but uh, I've not seen your face for a little while. So it's I been know, nice, I miss nice you. to see you. Yes, it's lovely <laughs> to chat. I could chat for ages, as you know, but um, I'll, oh, we yeah, all can. yeah. I just uh, I think it's it's important, yeah, that we sort of keep connected as well with people because I think if we go through days and we don't talk or we don't see people that's tough as well and I think you know we're, we're, we're all still here in the world we just need to sort of keep focused and yeah. you know reach out when we do need you know sort of help or whatever or just yeah. a yeah a cuppa over zoom with someone that's you know it. does the trick 
That's it. So, but it's been lovely to chat. I have no idea what I've said. You know, it comes out of my mouth and, you know, I hope you can make a podcast out of it. <laughs> there is definitely plenty of material there, Ali. No worries. Thank Good you. luck with that then. <laughs> Good luck editing. <laughs> Rather you than me. <laughs> well, lovely. I shall end the recording there. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you, Alex. So that was Ali. What did people think? Well, I've got to jump in first here, Alex, honestly, because I have this incredible memory of Alison Flanaganwood with two butterfly wings, which (laughs) must have had a 15-foot wingspan, uh, down on the quayside one new year, a couple of years ago. And I'd only just met her a few weeks or months beforehand. And the parade came down through Dean Street. And I was looking at this incredible sight of the butterfly coming down. I thought, oh, that's Alison Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> so that, when I heard the voice, and I just thought, oh, yes, it, it just went straight back, straight yes, back. Yeah, it was yeah. wonderful. Um, the couple of words that I that I've picked out, not intentionally, they just kind of leapt off the page or out of out of the recording. She talked about going out. You know, when you go out, what's and that? I've forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was exactly it brought me up short, thinking, and he he said, "Well, well, let's well let's go out," and you just don't do it anymore. <laughs> so that I thought that was amazing as well. Mm. But when she was talking about the community groups that she's worked with and she talked about not being able to celebrate Mm. and that really struck home as well because we, we, I think we've all felt that, that we couldn't get everybody together at the end of a project and it it is such an important part of doing the type of work that we do in the sector. It really is, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah, and now I've just got this picture of her with her butterfly wings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she won't mind that memory. <laughs> well, so that's a good memory. Yeah. <laughs> ah, she's another swimmer, isn't she? How many how many wild swimmers have we had? I think we might have <laughs> we might have stumbled on the the key to happiness here is to just kind of go swimming in cold water. Absolutely, it's definitely something that's increased over the last sort of year or so, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe we just wrap the podcast up now because we discovered it we discovered what the key to happiness is and we can all move on while swimming can we keep going so that we can find an alternative (laughs) yeah I I agree Dom yeah Yeah. something a bit warmer (laughs) something warmer yeah so there were there were there were two things I think that that really struck me from what Ali was saying and it not so much kind of what she said but what she was making me think about while I was listening to that Um, because obviously culture is something which is deeply deeply important to her and kind of letting it thrive and actually Kath it was when she was talking about the New Year's Eve parades and talking about all the the work that goes into putting those together and I was sort of mentally tossing it up in my head I mean you were talking you know thousands and thousands of hours of people's activity to get these things ready um for you know a few hours one evening um, it all kind of comes together and it's, it's kind of a massive celebration. And it's so easy to forget about all the effort that went into putting it together, but also the joy that she was talking about 
that yeah. as a community coming together and doing all this stuff and you know working together to to kind of put on this this fantastic spectacle you know it's it's as important to do the work for culture as it is to actually have the event because that's you know that's part of what, what kind of brings people together mm. and and the other thing that i was thinking about was different parts of culture all kind of going on and just thinking how how much of culture we don't see because it's not our bit that doesn't mean that you know any of it is less important just because there's mm. culture happening which you know i'm not into doesn't mean that that shouldn't be happening you know less popular stuff it's you know we, you put it all together and everybody's able to kind of celebrate their own culture uh, and do do their own thing so i'm i'm there might be a group of early medieval instrumentalists out there playing trap music and that's not my bag but for them and for the people around them that's hugely important and mm. you know people like ali making sure that that all kind of works and keeps going you know Mm-hmm. For, for that happiness, particularly at a time like this, and you're saying yeah. right at the start about the importance of culture when we can't 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 go out and do other stuff, yeah. and keeping it all going was yeah made, made a really big impression on me. I loved how mm. she just casually mentioned, you know, serving Fugazi and Nirvana <laughs> and Stone Roses at the Riverside. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was just yeah. I just yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Not starstruck at all. Um, but yeah, I was really interested in that part of her life because yeah, she mm. uh, worked there for a while, I think, and uh, it was such an iconic place, as you say, in the culture of the city um, as well. Um, I don't think it was around. I think I kind of missed it by the time I got to Newcastle. I don't think it was around. Um, but I, I didn't. Miss I it. hear the stories. <laughs> <laughs> She's the first person to mention it, actually, uh, mm. so far. And you know what? It was such an important part of. Uh, people's lives yeah. a certain group of people's lives should we yeah. say people who were interested in music of all cultures it wasn't mm-hmm. just a punk venue you know you'd have world music and all sorts and i think david bowie played there once yes. by mistake yeah. <laughs> 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 but made a good night of it in the end you know and uh, yeah that was where i uh, misspent a lot of my youth <laughs> but what was really good about the riverside was that those bands would play like nirvana would play in i don't know mud honey and Tad and Mega City 4 and all of that. And then there would also, local bands could get up and play. Mm. And we'd be on the stage that your heroes had been on. Mm. And it would give you that boost, you know. That was why there was so many good bands came out of Newcastle around that time. It was brilliant. But I used to have a studio in the Riverside at the top floor. And uh, they didn't have any toilets. So you have to, the crack had their offices there. You had to knock on their door and they'd be like throwing bits of paper at each other not doing any work you know <laughs> and it, you'd have to get the key from them to go and get to, and use the toilets in the venue and if there was a particularly good band uh, sound checking you'd be like oh, i'm sorry i need the toilet <laughs> can i have the key <laughs> <laughs> and you just kind of hang around for a little while uh, just sort of listening to the sound check <laughs> yeah 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 definitely you know kind of <laughs> memories of yeah I don't see. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was such an amazing venue, and it really took me back, you know, to that point point in uh, Newcastle's cultural life. Mm. Uh, it's still, that energy's still there, but it's kind of more spread out across a bunch of venues now, mostly around the Usburn. Yeah. But um, it's still there, you know. Um, it's a vibrant city, and that was like a real reminder of that moment, you know. Yeah. I also had to Google Camogie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
That sounded brutal. (laughs) Yeah, I've watched a few videos and I can understand now why she plays roller derby as well. (laughs) Because, oh my goodness. (laughs) So if anyone hasn't heard of it before, give it a Google. It's it's intriguing. (laughs) Anything else to add? Um, No, just that we're we're really lucky to have Ali in this city. Mm. She's been like uh, at the cornerstone of so much activity yeah. in the city that um, she's not allowed to go anywhere. She's we talk about. Um, she's not allowed to people, go anywhere. <laughs> she's not. She has to. That's her, that's her job for life, you know. But, um, we talk about people being adopted, Geordies, and uh, she's she's definitely like Newcastle's number one candidate Absolutely. for mm-hmm. uh, for the uh, Geordie passport, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody. And thank you, Ali, for your time uh, doing that interview. So if you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We always love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email. Hello at the Geordie Guide to Happiness dot co dot UK. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geordie Guide or on Facebook, the Geordie Guide to Happiness. As always, I want to give a shout out to our funders. This project wouldn't be possible without support from the Newcastle Cultural Investment Fund at the Community Foundation. So thank you so much for your support. I'm going to hand over to Dom now to introduce next week's episode. Yes, um, next week you'll hear me talking to John Coburn. John is the creative director at Seven Stories, Centre for Children's Book in Newcastle. Uh, I had a really good chat with John. John has been working in the cultural sector in the Northeast for about, oh gosh, uh, over 13, 14 years, I would say. He's had various roles and he's currently uh, knocking doors through windows at Seven Stories. (laughs) And you will hear John talking about all sorts of things, including his children's new song, Daddy is a Massive Poo, which I can't wait (laughs) to share with you. I look forward Um, to it. It could be our new jingle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can hear me asking John questions like this. Whose job are you most jealous of in the organization? And you can hear John give answers like this. Whose work am I jealous of? Oh, I want to do bits of everyone's job, but, you know, particularly those, uh, the staff who are out delivering, um, you know, I, I, I want to be where I am, but uh, the staff who are out delivering and, and just seeing young people and 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 seeing them make work and having a laugh with young people and, you know, and really just, um, I think, the, you know, the creative act of storytelling of writing, a lot of it's just really, really damn funny. Um, and, and as well, as well as quite, um, at times, poignant, profound. Um, Thanks, Dom. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the Geordie Guide to Happiness so far. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. Thank you.